0: We open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3, we'll read the entire chapter. We take our text from the second verse, expanding into portions of the rest of the chapter as well. We hear the inspired word of Exodus 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh thither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. When I come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you out, up out of the afflictions of Egypt unto the land of the Cainites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand, And smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor, and of her that sojourneth in her house, jewels of silver, and jewels of gold, and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons, and upon your daughters." and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. As I stated, we take verse 2 as our text for the sermon this evening. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Israel was experiencing tremendous affliction in Egypt. No one knows exactly when that affliction began, but we do know that already when Moses was born, that affliction had been ongoing for quite some time. The oppression had lasted for decades, probably for up to a hundred years, because Moses now would be around 80 years of age, according to Exodus 7, verse 7. Now, it's hard for us to imagine the struggles and the grief that the Israelites endured. The oppression continued generation after generation. And part of the length of the time was due to the sinfulness of the Israelites. They loved and they were satisfied with life in Egypt. And so they weren't quick to cry out for deliverance. But God intensified the affliction and he also worked a cry in the hearts of his children. Israel had to learn to wait on the Lord. And she had to wait so long from an earthly perspective. But God had a purpose. God was teaching her that salvation is all of the Lord. In that connection, we think of the words of Psalm 77, which we sang. Shall I his promise, faithless, find? Has God forgotten to be kind? Has he in anger hopelessly removed his love and grace from me? What child of God has not experienced those considerations and those thoughts? No doubt Moses, in the lonely desert for years, without any word of God, without any Bible to turn to, had to have become discouraged in his situation. And again, we know the experience. What child of God has not gone through times of intense struggle, intense difficulties, sickness, adversity, death of loved ones, pain. And these thoughts go through our minds. Where is God? Has he forgotten me? Has he cast me off? But through it all, the psalmist also explains, I trust him still, though in my grief no answer yet has brought relief. His confidence still is in his God. Beloved, that's the lesson that God teaches us through our trials. God is faithful, and he will never forget to be kind. That's the lesson in the picture of the church throughout all ages. Different struggles, different challenges throughout the ages, but ultimately through it all, God admonishing us to trust him and to be patient and to believe that he is faithful. That's the lesson of the burning bush. And we look at that lesson this evening. The bush that was not consumed. Noting first the fire, secondly the name, and finally the trust. Beloved, the gospel is in our text. In that striking phrase, behold the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. We have the bush here burning with fire. Now in the Old and New Testament, we sometimes talk about the silent years. Years when God's revelation was not prevalent. We know of the time period between the Testaments, from Malachi's death till Gabriel's message to Joseph and Mary. During that time period, or to John the Baptist, to to Zacharias first with regard to John the Baptist, during that time period... Almost 400 years, there was no revelation of God. We call that a silent period. Now, they had the Bible. They had things that they could reference. Here now, in the early history of Israel, we have something similar for almost the same time frame. From God's appearances to the patriarch Abraham, and then finally Jacob, to Jacob's going down to Egypt, the last God had communicated with Jacob was when Jacob heard now back from Joseph, prayed to God about what to do, and God said, you can go down to Egypt and I will bring you back out. From that period until now, God coming to Moses through the burning bush is over 400 years. Almost a similar time period as between the Testaments. And during that time, there's no revelation from God. God is silent. Moses now 80 years living his life as a humble shepherd in Midian when God finally makes his presence known once again to his people. Now Exodus Exodus 3 records here that Moses was working for his father-in-law Jethro. He was driving his flock down into Sinai when he came to Horeb. Horeb is identified here in verse 1 as the mountain of God. Likely its name comes from this event. So that previous to this, it was not known as such. But as a result of this wonder, it became known then as the mountain of God. As Moses is watering his flock, he notices a bush. And that bush is filled with fire, but it's not being destroyed. And so he proceeds toward it with curiosity. And he sees a wonder here's a bush on fire, but that bush is not being consumed. Now Moses is a very different man from the man that we've seen previously. To see Moses now, one would never know that this man grew up in the royal courts of Pharaoh. That this man's education and learning was in the courts of Egypt, in a position where he had a one time received tremendous praise from his teachers. That had been long ago. That had been a different way of life. Now the way that Moses is living is far, far different. His words are few. His appearance rather crude. Moses had been changed by God. There was a gentleness. There was a kindness. There was a patience. There was a meekness. There was like a childlike trust that now characterizes this man. God's invisible providence leads this shepherd to a certain bush. And God is about to teach Moses a lesson here in Midian that is far greater than anything he learned in the courts of Egypt. As Moses watches that bush, he hears a voice. And it's the voice of Jehovah God speaking to him. He knows then, this is a wonder of God. Now, fire and the flame are symbolic of God's holiness, God's wrath. We think about fire in two different ways in the Bible. The fire that purifies and makes something that was impure, holy, and the fire that destroys the wicked. The bush is a picture of God's people in the midst of their afflictions. This represents the Israelites in the midst of Egypt. And the fact that the bush is distinct from God is evident there from verse 2 where it says the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So we have the bush distinguished from the fire from the flame. The bush a picture of God's people in their affliction. Now this bush would have been a bramble bush, which is some kind of a thorn bush. Not something that's worth much, worthless, like a thistle. We have roses, which are beautiful, but then we have thistle bushes that we would burn and destroy. In the parable of Jotham, the son of Gideon, he compares a number of different plants, and then he finds... A bramble bush and he calls it the lowliest of the bushes that's the picture that we have here a lowly bramble bush representing God's people God's people who are lowly they're not those that are popular well-known desired they're those which are the meek the despised the rejected ones. Now there's three different things that we want to look at here, first of all, to begin. First of all, Moses sees this small flame in the midst of the bush. That flame represented the presence of Jehovah. That becomes clear here. The angel of the Lord appears unto him in a flame of fire. Why does God represent himself with a flame of fire in this miracle? Deuteronomy 4 verse 24 states, The Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12 verse 29 quotes that. Our God is a consuming fire. The significance is that God is holy. And God's holiness is depicted through fire. As a holy God, He demands perfection. He demands obedience of all mankind. And when men and women walk in disobedience in rebellion, he's filled with wrath and with sore displeasure toward them. And that wrath is represented in a consuming fire that destroys sin and the sinner. God now appears here in the wilderness in his wrath against sin as represented in that consuming fire. But also his holiness represented in that fire secondly we have the whole bush set aflame with fire and again that symbolizes God's people then Israel in the midst of Egypt set afire with fierce persecution and fierce oppression they're experiencing intense difficulties Pharaoh was killing their firstborn the intensity of the persecution has come upon them And while the bush is burning, Moses hears the explanation of God that God had seen the affliction of Israel and the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed Israel. That's the picture here now. It's not just Israel as a bush represented by that bramble, that thorn bush, but it's on fire because of the affliction and the persecutions that are hers. Jeremiah talks about Egypt in chapter 11 verse 4 as an iron furnace. The burning bush points to that oppression of Israel in Egypt. And this oppression at the hand then of a holy and righteous God. And that comes out thirdly from this point. The small flame of fire that appeared in the bush is what set the bush on fire. And that small flame represents Jehovah. So that God is at work here. The bush is not on fire because of Egypt and because of Pharaoh merely, but Jehovah God has set the persecution of his people. God is the one that's caused this bush to be consumed with flame. That points out God's sovereignty over all things. And it points out, too, God's work and purpose behind the afflictions, the chastisement of his people. God is at work here. Israel had sinned against God. They had desired Egypt and the flesh pots of Egypt. And now God was chastising. He was punishing those who were the wicked in her midst, chastising those who were his children. Stephan in Acts 7 reveals that Israel was a stiff necked uncircumcised in heart and ears. And so that chastisement, that punishment of God now, is upon them. They would have been consumed by the fury of God's wrath had they not been God's children. Israel was the chosen of God. Now the question then is, what about that? How is it then that God's wrath is being poured out? His hot displeasure toward those who are his own. God was displeased with them in their sin. God has no delight in sin. But these were his children, whom he loved from eternity. And that points us to another wonder that's evident here. And the bush was not consumed. Beloved, here's the message of the gospel. And this is the great wonder of this history not only, but the history of the church of Jesus Christ. This is the great wonder of your and my lives. Now it may have been common in Moses' time to see dried bushes burning up in the desert. But normally they were quickly consumed. And within a matter of few moments, the fire was out and the bush was gone. According to the Hebrew language here, this one burns intensely. And it continues to burn for quite some time. Something is happening here contrary to the rules of nature. A wonder of wonder is taking place. This bush is on fire. We would say all of the fuel is burned up. There's nothing less that can be burning. And yet, it continues to burn and it's not consumed. Israel, though experiencing the fierce persecution and hardship under the hand of Pharaoh, was not consumed. They were not destroyed in God's wrath. Now Israel may have thought that God had forgotten her. Psalm 77 no doubt came up in her thoughts. But that never happens. Israel may have been unfaithful as the church is throughout the ages. But God is ever faithful. God remembers his church. And God in his holiness could have consumed Israel in the fire of his wrath against sin. However, he does not. We find that God in his love, God in his faithfulness, will not consume those who are the objects of his love. Malachi 3, verse 6, I am Jehovah, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's the beautiful word that God speaks. Zion is redeemed through judgment. The church is purified through judgment. But that judgment will not destroy. That judgment is intended by God to purge and to purify. God promised that he would make of the seed of Abraham a great nation and that he would receive for them the inheritance of Canaan and would give it to them. God promised the forgiveness of sins through the Messiah who would come. God promised deliverance through the seed of the woman. And God remembered His promise. God makes use of trials. He makes use of afflictions as His chastisement. A father who loves his children turns their hearts away from sin to Him in love. And God in His faithfulness now hears the cry of His children. And He calls His servant Moses to deliver them with a mighty hand. God maintains his justice and integrity, teaching that his children must turn from sin. Never while sinning can Christ's bride expect to be experiencing God's love. God preserves and keeps his church through repentance, turning them, giving them a wonder of grace, causing them to know the wonder of his love and his care for them. Especially that scene in the name that God gives here to Moses. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Verse 6. Verse 14, I am that I am. God reveals himself in this burning bush as I am that I am. This is the most important name that God gives himself. And for the first time in human history, God teaches the church here the significance of that name. And he does it through this marvelous experience. The name Jehovah is so important that in the Old Testament it's sometimes called the name. For instance, we read anyone who blasphemed the name were worthy of death. And the reference is the name Jehovah. But strikingly, the name was seldom used because of that. The Israelites were fearful of using it. Sometimes they would use but more often than not, they would not even make use of it out of fear that they might use it wrong. Here God teaches Israel the significance of that name and therefore of his own blessed being in connection with his church. God says, I am that I am. That is, he is the unchangeable, eternal God of heaven and earth. He's the independent one. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That can never be said of you or of me. We're changing. We're constantly changing. We're not who we determined to be. C- circumstances and situations in our lives have changed us and transformed us. We're influenced by all kinds of different things every day and throughout the course of our lives. Jehovah God is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same tomorrow. No creature can confess that. We are what we are because of parents, because of experiences, and then time takes a toll on us because we're subject to time. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He's not subject to time. And as the fountain of all good, the one who's sovereign over all, he's the source of all life. He's the source of... Of everything, He's absolutely self sufficient and independent. The eternal, unchangeable God. God now comes to fickle, changeable creatures. He comes to fickle men and women with this word I am your God, and I will forever be your God. (laughs) God makes a promise. And he will never swerve from that promise. That's the word that God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham that he would establish his covenant with Abraham. As an everlasting covenant. And that that covenant then would not be changed. And that God would preserve and keep him in it. God made a promise. As the I am that I am. Israel may have deserved to perish. Israel may have deserved to be punished everlastingly by God. But God will not punish them. He will not bring the fierceness of his wrath. Instead, he brings his chastening hand in order to purge, purify, and to gather them to himself in love. This is a representative of the, of the, of the redemption and the salvation of God's church. And beloved, what God is teaching through that is this is my work. This is God's work. Salvation is all of God. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot deliver himself. Man is the changeable creature. But Jehovah God is faithful. And Jehovah chose to himself a people whom he would then preserve and keep to all eternity. And God's faithfulness is seen in that Jehovah God is the I am that I am. He's the God of our fathers. And he will continue to be the God of all those in their generations. And that's the reference here to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Demonstrating, I did not forsake them. I did not forsake Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. I spoke a promise, and I maintained that promise throughout their generations, despite their sins, despite their unfaithfulness. Beloved, this name is the covenant name of God that teaches us and impresses upon us God's covenant faithfulness. That Jehovah God will realize his eternal covenant because he's decreed it by his counsel. And his counsel stands and his counsel will be realized. God now comes to Moses here in verse 2 as the angel of Jehovah. That's significant as well. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. An angel that appears here to Moses is not simply a created creature. We know the angels are just creatures. They were created by God. This one stands distinct. This is God himself, as becomes clear from the passage. The angel of Jehovah, or the angel of the Lord, is a prefiguration of Jesus Christ. God himself, is speaking here out of the bush. And this is the angel of God's presence. God's name is in the midst of this angel. This is Jesus Christ, the messenger of Jehovah God, through whom God reveals himself. How does God reveal himself to you and to me as the unchangeable God of heaven and earth? Through his own son. And that's the gospel of our text. Jesus Christ is present in the bush and that's why that bush will not be consumed because Christ is in the midst of her. And so God sets up an event here, a burning bush, in order to give revelation concerning his name, his faithfulness, and he accompanies it with promises. He urges Israel, he urges his church to remember, believe, and trust in me. I am the living God of heaven and earth. Don't look to the gods of Egypt. Don't look to the gods of the heathen. They're not faithful. They're not, I am that I am. Jehovah gives here a revelation that ranks among the greatest of the self-revelations of God in the Bible. The name of God would be established as a memorial of God's faithfulness to his people forever. And that comes out later on in the chapter. That God would establish this as a memorial. Verse 15. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. God doesn't give us something to identify as a memorial. God gives us his name. He says, I am that I am. Lay hold on that name. Trust in that name. That name is a memorial concerning my faithfulness. That salvation is all of God. And that I will not destroy my church, but I will preserve her according to my covenant. Now, how does this apply to Israel during their time in Egypt? God says to Moses, Moses, do you think I've forgotten my people? Do you think, Moses, that I've changed my perspective? I made promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Do you think now that I've decided ah, those promises aren't worthy to be kept? God says, no, even when Israel was sinning, I remembered her. I brought her into trouble because of her sins in order that she would turn from them and repent. I caused Egypt to oppress her, but I never forgot my own. The gods of Egypt, they were no help and they are no help. They're not faithful. They've not been with you. But I, the everlasting God, am with you and I keep you and I will preserve you. Now, beloved, these words must have stirred the heart of Moses. Again, imagine, Moses has been in the wilderness now for 40 years. It seems as though God has forgotten his promises. Here was the hope and the longing of his life. Already when he was on the lap of his mother, he was taught about God's promises, about God's faithfulness how God had mentioned to Jacob that God would bring Israel back again. He learned about God's promise to deliver Israel. And we noted he may have even believed for a time that he was to be used by God in that capacity. Now God comes to Moses through this burning bush that's not consumed and the voice of God assures Moses, I am faithful to my promise. The time is going to come. And not only will you witness it, you are going to take part of that deliverance. And you are going to be the one through whom I'm going to work to bring it to pass. On the foreground, God's covenant faithfulness. God promised he would not forget his promise. And beloved, that same thing applies to you and to me. Do you think God has forgotten to be kind? You look at your situation, you look at the circumstances of your life, do you think That God no longer answers prayers? That cannot be true. He is Jehovah, the I am that I am. And God's faithfulness to his promise means that he will not overlook the sins of his people. Now how do we understand that then? God is faithful to his promise, but his people are sinners. How is it that he can maintain faithfulness to his promise and at the same time do justice the reality of our sin and beloved that brings in the wonder of the cross the burning bush points to the cross where our lord jesus christ was consumed because of our sin the fires of god's wrath came upon him and those waves and those billows threatened to overthrow him but did they destroy him no he was god and as God, He was able to sustain the wrath that our sins deserve. And as such, He emerged from the cross as the one who was perfect, who was righteous, as the one who had taken upon Himself the full penalty and punishment of our sins. Christ is the answer to the fact that the bush, while it's on fire, will not be consumed. Beloved, Christ is the answer in your and my life to the fact that I am a sinner. I am weak. I'm being chastised because of my sins. But God yet is faithful. And God is preserving and keeping me in order to bring me into the fullness of the glory that awaits. He will not cast me off because... He punished His Son in my place. The comfort of God's people throughout all ages is found in this wonder. God is the unchangeable God of the promise. I find myself giving in to temptation again. I say something I shouldn't have said, and I cry out for mercy. I confess my sin, and the comfort of God's people throughout all ages is God looking upon us in mercy and saying, I am that I am. And because I am that I am, you will not be consumed. You will not be destroyed. So faithful he is that rather than his wrath against sin going unpunished, it was punished in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, with the bitter and shameful death of the cross. And that's the evidence, beloved, of his faithfulness toward me and toward you and toward his name. It's only because of Christ that we're not consumed. Now there are many reasons for chastisements to come upon us, some of which are given in this history. Others, the book of Job. We can find other places in the Bible. But in all of them, what is God's message? The bush will not be consumed. God's church will be preserved and kept. The great I am is the faithful one. He always answers prayer. He always gives grace according to need. Agonies, sorrows, challenges may be our lot. Small, insignificant we may be. Lonely and even despised as that thorn bush. Fear and dread may take their way with us. Distress may threaten to overwhelm us. The future may be dark, but we hear the glorious message. I am that I am. I dwell in the midst of you in Jesus Christ. And I cannot deny myself. God remembers and God preserves and God keeps. He remembers the cause of his church. He remembers his saints. And the gates of hell will not prevail against them. He will make all things work together for good, for them that love Him, who are the called according to His purpose. And we don't just give, give expression to that truth with our lips. God works within us the faith by which we cling to the I am that I am, knowing that He is the only thing in this life that is certain. In the midst of all the uncertainties, I can't trust friends, I can't trust relatives, I can't trust anything in this life Ultimately, my trust is in Jehovah God alone, the I Am, who has spoken and will bring it to pass. That's the trust that God works here in Moses. Moses, God says, Moses, draw not nigh thither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. God calls us to trust in Him, to trust in Him in all things. He's the Holy One. He's the one who does all things right. How often doesn't it shame us when we realize that we were anxious, we were afraid, we were filled with concerns and worries. We weren't walking by faith. We were looking at things from an earthly perspective by sight. And then we look back and shame fills our hearts as we realize God was working a perfect work. I just wasn't looking in the right place. I wasn't trusting in Him. When I think of the future, I need to remember the ever-burning bush that's not consumed. And I look to the great I am and I put my trust in him alone, fervent in prayer. Moses, after 40 years in the wilderness and the children of Israel after 400 years of silence are taught by this glorious event to put their trust in Jehovah God. Beloved, whatever the way of the Lord be with you, with me, though we may be inclined to think along the lines of the psalmist in Psalm 77, this is the lesson that we take with us. The lesson that we need every day. The faithfulness of the I am that I am. He is the help. he's the hope of God's people. And the angel of Jehovah is our surety. And through him, We are brought out of bondage into the glorious liberty of the life that is ours with Jehovah God. Approaching God with reverence. We confess our sins. We cry out to Him. And we know the wonder of the cross. And we know the wonder of that fire that purifies, that brings us forth as that which is valuable, as gold, And we look forward to the day when that faithfulness will be revealed in all of its perfection in glory. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee for working in us the glorious confession. This God is my God. He knows the troubles. He knows the struggles through which He leads me. He has not forgotten to be kind. He remembers His promise. And He will preserve and keep me now and to all eternity, as the I am that I am. Amen.